Hello everybody, this is Jake McGrail of CITR Sports Broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9, always keep you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. This week, Corey Branson sat down with UBC football alum Dakota Shepley, who signed with the San Francisco 49ers back in August, and has since signed a futures contract with the team to head into camp with them next season. He discussed his journey through the professional ranks to this point, what it was like relocating with the rest of his team partway through the season, and how he got a cameo in Deadpool 2. Elsewhere, we touch on a banner day for the Thunderbirds men's soccer program, an honor for a great swimming alum and a new job for a UBC baseball exec in our news roundup, followed by a look back at a very successful multi-sport athlete for our alum of the week. But first, here is Corey's interview with Dakota Shepley. Everybody. I'm Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, joining you once again from the comfort of my home. Today I'm here to interview a Thunderbirds alum and an extra special one at that. He spent four years in the UBC football program from 2014 to 2017, winning a Vanier Cup title as a sophomore and being named to the Canada West All-Star team as a senior. Afterwards, he went on to professional stints with the New York Jets and Saskatchewan Rough Riders, before landing his current gig with the San Francisco 49ers. It is my pleasure to welcome former T-Bird O-lineman and current Roots Sweatpants brand ambassador, Dakota Shepley, to the show. Dakota, thank you for being here. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. No problem. So to get us started, uh, your season came to a close just about a month ago, the start of January. Where have you been since then, and what have you been up to during the offseason? Uh, yeah, that's a... That's a kind of a dynamic question because it's been so hectic because of all this, uh, you know, that, that Rona, that coronavirus going around. So I was uh, I was in San Francisco until about five weeks left of the season. We got kicked out of the county, finished the season in Arizona, then from Arizona came straight to Windsor, uh, Ontario. So I've been back home um, in my hometown for about, uh, I think it's like four weeks now. And then I got, I got one more week here and then I'll be heading to Dallas to start my off-season uh, training, really going full swing there in about 10 days here. Cool. And what have you been up to in this month off oh, that you've had? I mean, well, when I got here, uh, entering the country, I had to kind of lay low for 14 days, as you know, uh, as everyone knows now, I think. Um, so nothing, like no gyms are open here. Like we're on like some some pretty serious lockdown business in in Windsor specifically. And I think, uh, I think it's most of on really. Um, so I haven't been able to do anything. Uh, I mean, I've left the house like maybe seven times and I, by light, leave the house, I mean like step outside. So <laughs> to go for a walk or whatever it is. So just keeping myself occupied and until, like I said, 10 days from now, I'll really start getting into the swing of things. Yeah, for sure. So when in your, when you go down to Dallas, I'm assuming there's going to be more for you to do more opportunities to leave the house. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, if you pay attention at all you know there's a, a select states in the in america that that kind of have more lax covid restrictions and um gyms being open is one of them so that's pretty crucial for me if i don't have a gym i don't have a job yeah uh, so i'll be doing that here pretty soon sounds good you mentioned the move to arizona that happened for you folks in the middle of the season yeah context for our listeners santa clara county put a halt on all organized sports activities so you folks made the trip down south 
You eventually found a home there in Arizona. You finished the season. How did you personally manage that midseason transition, getting asked to, you know, move on such short notice? Oh, I just, you know, all the players just do whatever they tell us to. Luckily, luckily for me, I don't have any family there. I don't have a, you know, a significant other or anything. You know, I feel bad for the some of the players that have their whole families moved out to to San Francisco, who maybe necessarily don't usually live there outside of the the regular season. You know, it was a it was a I'm, it was tough, I know, on some players who, who had to say goodbye to their families when they had just done so much to move them out, you know, amid the the COVID um, lockdowns and 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 uh, restrictions and everything. So for me, it was it was fine. I, it was pretty hectic. I can't imagine for the actual organization shelling out a bunch of money to pretty much rent out an entire hotel, and it was a resort at that, um, right next to the State Farm Stadium. So. I just can't imagine like a lot of us were talking while we were there just logistically it must have been like just a crazy nightmare because they really had to figure that out we i remember we found out that we that contact sports were prohibited in the county on our way to los angeles to play the rams so in the airplane people were just kind of you know freaking out and i think the gm john lynch kind of caught wind of that and got on the mic and said hey on the airplane was like hey you know everyone obviously has heard the news but you know, we're going to figure it out. Let's go beat the Rams and then we'll figure it out from there. And in two days, made the transition. So seamless for me, but like I said, behind the scenes, I can't imagine. Yeah, that was crazy. And I, I remember I was impressed at how quickly it seemed to get resolved. And yeah. you could tell that, as you mentioned, the organization was putting in a lot of work behind the scenes to make it so you folks didn't have to miss a game in there. Yeah. So once the season finished, you signed a future contract with the 49ers to stay with the team going into the next year. For the first time in your professional career, it looks like you'll spend consecutive years with the same organization. Yeah. How do you think that consistency will benefit you moving forward? Yeah, it's nice to have some peace of mind and, and know that I kind of have a place to call home for at least an, a few more months. Um, it's kind of been the nature of my whole career is, uh, you know, the longest team I've spent time with is UBC. And and ever since then, it's kind of been a roller coaster, one that I'm grateful for and and, and one I've I'm, I'm pleased with how I've handled uh, like going to New York, getting released and kind of sorting it out all of 2018 and then 2019, the CFL season, as you know, and then uh, leading into, you know, my opportunity with San Francisco this, this past year, um, like I said, a roller coaster, but that's just the nature of football, man. You face adversity and you deal with it and, and you come out stronger the other side. So like I said, happy, happy to have some certainty in my, my career here for the next, you know, this upcoming season. You mentioned they're taking 2018 to sort of figure things out. That connects into another one of the questions I had after you didn't make the final roster with the New York Jets. That was August 2018, and it wasn't until March of 2019 that you signed with the Rough Riders. Yeah. They had selected you fifth overall in the CFL draft, as you had that connection there. What were you up to with all that time sort of out of football? Well, I, I, had, I had tried to pursue the NFL um, as many opportunities in the NFL as I could in 2018, I got released, in, like you said, in August. And then all through then, I I had trained until pretty much December and had, I think it was six or seven uh, workouts um, with other organizations in the league. And uh, it was clear to me after that that I just needed professional experience and just uh, play at a higher speed um, at some capacity. And that ended up being planned in the CFL for the year that I did. 
And uh, even after this season with the, with the 49ers, it's, you know, I, I can see how unprepared I was making the jump from UBC to the National Football League. And that's not a slight to, you know, the program or anything. It's just the speed of the game I just wasn't prepared for. And I needed that stepping stone in the CFL to, to make it where I am now. Awesome. The speed of the game, something that gets brought up time and time again by plenty of people in the media around the NFL, things like that. So definitely echoing what others had said before. During that period where you were going to all those workouts, did you have doubt about your future creeping in and where your where your future in professional football was going? You know, you go into it in a, in a workout that's, you know, it's hard enough to get one workout, let alone seven or six or seven or whatever it was. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um you can't go in thinking like, oh, I don't know what my future is going to look like, whatever. You go in there thinking that I'm going to make the team and I'm going to, you know, have an impact. Or you, you have to have that mindset as a football player. You know, if you go in timid and, and, and you know, self-doubt is a silent killer in this, in this business, if you feel like or, you know, you keep telling yourself that you're not going to do well. Or, and I, I guess that's, that's kind of a, a theme in life. If you tell yourself you're not going to be able to do it, that negative energy you know, carries over into whatever it is you're trying to do. And more often than not, thoughts become things. And uh, so no, the, the mindset is the most important part of this game. And, and a confident mindset is, is key to succeeding. So. Yeah, good to hear. I'd like to take it back a little bit further into the past, actually. We're a UBC radio show. We want to talk about your time at UBC a little bit. Um, first off, when you came to UBC, you originally, as you mentioned, you came from Ontario. What inspired you to make that jump across the country and attend a program in Vancouver? Yeah, I'd never actually been in another province other than Ontario. <clears throat> or I'd been to Quebec, but like a field trip in grade school. Yeah. So uh, I was getting recruited uh, in the States, and I kind of had my mind set on playing American football for American University and amid all that going on i had gotten a call from sean olson at the time uh from ubc and he said have you ever even heard you know we talked up ubc and asked me have you ever even heard of ubc and i hadn't and he goes have you ever been to the west coast nope and he's like well come for a recruiting trip and if you don't like it worst case scenario you got a free trip to vancouver so i came out and uh with some advice from some mentors of mine at the time i uh i kind of made the decision to to come to a canadian university and you know, it, it ended up being an academic decision and um, kind of, I kind of had it in my mind where if, if I was good enough at football and I, you know, applied myself enough, then my talent as an athlete would shine through regardless of what school I went to. Um, so that was, that was my ultimate decision there. It was, you know, I'm going to make it happen one way or another and I'm going to enjoy living on the West Coast in the meantime. Yeah, it's a great place to live. I'll always... Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> It's a heck of a place to live. Yeah. In the intro, I mentioned some of your achievements with the program, the Van Day Cup, the All-Star Selection. Sure. You, though, what was your biggest takeaway or lesson learned from your time with the Thunderbirds that's still valuable to you today? If you want to get it done, you got to do it yourself. I mean, no one's going to do put in the work for you. And uh, you can't count on other people to, to help you out, you know, to, to reach the goal that you set for yourself. You can't count on other people to help you out along the way, whether people do help you out or not. My biggest thing that I've learned is that you got to set your mind to it and you got to do everything in your control to, to make sure you, you see through your goal. And, uh, as soon as you start relying on other people or counting on someone to, to, uh, 
to help you out, then, you know, at, to what end does, does that uh, come? So, you know, put your head down and work and, and stay focused on your goal. And, and that's, that's something that I've done since UBC and, and beyond. And uh, it's gotten me where I am now. Bet on yourself. That's my, that's my biggest takeaway. I like it. I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about last summer. Uh, after the CFL season got canceled, you ended up leaving the Rough Riders. You signed with the 49ers a few days later. What went into yeah. making those decisions? Um, it was a, uh, that, that option was on my radar, I think, for a little bit. I, I kind of had caught wind, me and my agent had caught wind that the CFL was probably, you know, going to get delayed, obviously. It was delayed. And in the process of it getting delayed, we kind of figured like, you know, the season might not happen. Just the, the amount of money that's required that I know they were asking for, for grants from the government, um, more money than I think obviously the government was willing to shell out. Um, so we kind of got the ball rolling um, right away, right when we, we found out the news that the CFL was canceled. And uh, my, my agent did a great job of, uh, uh, advertising me on the market, I guess you could say, and, and contacting teams and letting them know my situation and, and, you know, sending them out my film and everything. And it ended up leading to the opportunity with the 49ers and ended up working out, thank, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Talking about that time with the 49ers, we already mentioned a little bit how awkward it was to change stadiums in the middle of the season you folks yeah. also suffered a lot from the injury bug this year. You saw plenty yeah. of top players, Jimmy Garoppolo, Richard Sherman, Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, the list goes on and on. The yeah. players that you ended up losing that were really integral parts of the Super Bowl run from last year. Yeah. But for someone like you, you're sitting there on the practice squad for most of the season. So you are the next man up in those kind of situations when people are going down. But obviously, you don't want to lose high-caliber talent. So what's going through your head when people are ending up on the injury list in bunches? Um, you know, it's it's tough to see guys go down with injuries. And and unfortunately, that's the nature of the game. But that's how I've gotten my opportunity in the CFL. Um, I was not starting to start the year. And then an injury took a, took a starter out. And it put me in the position I was in for most of the year last year. And, and it was the same deal this year. So you know, it sucks to see people that you go grow close with uh, go down with an injury that, that ends their season or post or delays their, their progress as an athlete. But at the same time, that's, that's why we train and that's why we practice to stay ready for the opportunities when your number's called and, and mine was. So, uh, you know, just make sure that you take advantage of those opportunities and that you're physically ready and mentally ready uh, when it's time to go. Yeah. Being at the NFL level means you're interacting with the best coaches, the best players in the world. Were you able to glean anything from Trent Williams during your time in the Bay? Certainly, yeah. He's he's a player I've looked up to for most of my my playing career. I mean, he's been playing professionally in the NFL longer than I've been playing football my, my whole life. So he has just a wealth of knowledge, obviously, at the tackle position, but just little pointers that may seem obvious to guys who have even gone to NCAA programs. Um and have played the American game most of their life. That was an adjustment for me and, and players like him, veterans like him and Lake and Tomlinson, the left guard next to him and, and veteran center, uh, Ben Garland. He's been in the league 11 years as well. So having guys like that to lean on and, and give me tips and advice and pointers uh, that greatly improved my game with just like a little tweak, uh, things like that. 
uh, namely from Trent, uh, have been you know very helpful in my my progress. That's awesome. You're talking about those differences between the American game and the Canadian game mm-hmm. really well into my next question because we hear a lot about those differences, but usually when they're talked about, they seem to be differences that mainly affect skill position players. So for you as an offensive lineman, how impactful are the transitions back and forth between Canadian and American football? I I would argue that it's the it's the biggest challenge of any position. Um, given that, you know, the yard at the line of scrimmage in the Canadian game, uh, the D line has to be off the, off the ball a yard and in Canada or in the States rather it's, uh, they're right in your face right away. So the adjustment, you know, everything from how fast you are off the snap of the ball to the, your angle, your angle, your first step is everything has changed. And, uh, it took me a while. It was definitely a learning curve, um, relearning the American game after, uh, a few months I had played it and learned it in 2018 with New York. Um, that is the, it, you know, it's, it's completely different. And, um, you know, I think I, I took to it well and, and learned as quickly as I could. And, you know, my coaches were happy with me and that's all I could ask for. Uh, so, it, but like I said, it's, it's tough. I, I, I think it's the, uh, I personally think it's the toughest transition from Canadian to American toughest position to, to transition from. That's really cool to hear. Sort of on a similar tangent here, you mentioned it already, coming from the Canadian school, you're one of the few in the NFL uh, who yeah. came from north of the border. You didn't attend some SEC powerhouse or Notre Dame or Ohio State, any of those really big name universities. Do you feel that college background that you bring affects the way you're perceived or treated in the league? Yeah. Um, I think it uh, it it provides more insight to why I am the way I am as a player, and uh, it's maybe worked to my advantage because I think coaches and players have been more patient with me because they understand that there is a learning curve, like I've mentioned, and uh, yeah, you know, it's known that I'm Canadian, so I get a lot of Canadian nicknames and jokes and and jabs here and there, which is it's all part of the locker room banter. And, and that's just part of being on a football team. So it's kind of, it's kind of created an identity for myself without me even trying. Um, that being said, though, I'm a dual citizen. Like my dad's American and I have an American passport. So whenever those get thrown at me, the Canadian uh, digs, I'm just you know, I'm an American just like you and I got the passport approved, whatever it is. So um, yeah, it's all fun. And it is what it is. It's football. Yeah. For sure. Speaking of uh, locker room digs, does anybody ever call you Omega Red in the locker room? Yeah, it's funny you say that. There's, you know, and and for our team, they give out a, an award for scout team player of the week. And the first time I had gotten it, uh, they they they'll pull up like an embarrassing picture of the player from like their Instagram or Facebook, and they'll just do a bunch of you know digging. And uh, my first picture they pulled up was me like a whole. Was the bonus features of the Deadpool 2 DVD, and it was me talking. And they're like, yeah, this is real. This is him. So ever since then, I think I got a little bit of uh, clout with the team and respect from some of the guys. And then since then, a few of the, especially it was the video department I came pretty close with. They were all calling me Omega Red and some <laughs> comic book fans in the building. So that was one of my, one of my nicknames, I think. Probably the, the most used nickname. For sure. Uh, for those of us who are listening, uh, that are unfamiliar with the context here, 
Dakota, you were in the Deadpool 2 film from 2018. You're an extra. You played a character named Omega Red. I'm wondering if you could talk to us how that opportunity came about, how you ended up in that film. Yeah, it stemmed from this uh, this film that they they did at, uh, at UBC. They used their field, and it was a Hallmark movie. I was just like a small background role as a football player. Go figure. Um, and once you become an extra in a movie, I think a lot of people in Vancouver know would know this. You get inputted into some database that you know you got your hair color, height, eye color, whatever, all your stats, physical stats, and traits. And so whenever they need someone who's tall or whatever it is they're looking for, they'll just type in those stats in the database. So I think I got put into a database from, or whatever, whatever it is online from that movie in like, I think it was like 2015. And then from there, I was in a Netflix movie uh, that was filmed in Burnaby. And then uh, from there, I got a call from the Deadpool people and they brought me in and had a fitting costume fitting and they took pictures and everything and then later on I had gotten a picture or I'd gotten a phone call from the casting agent I think I'm giving you more than you asked for in this question but no I love it the whole thing uh from the casting director saying that they liked the way I look and they wanted to upgrade my role to this featured comic book guy that was in the movie which ended up being like this guy's this character Omega Red I guess I've learned since playing him was a pretty significant character in the marvel universe and uh is it marvel yeah it's marvel wolverine yeah they're they're under the marvel bubble. Yeah, it's, it's wolverine's like main enemy um whatever like fan page on instagram i'm learning all this stuff i've signed more pictures for comic book related things than football <laughs> things i think so uh, it's been kind of a wild ride there. It's it's kind of cool. You search up, if you search up the character on on Google or whatever, it, my name comes up. And it's like I'm the only guy that's played him. It's kind of it's kind of been like a weird little thing I did, a side gig that turned into this thing people care about. <laughs> Can never expect how those things turn out. Had you done acting when you were younger, like in school plays or anything like that? Yeah, I was in all the school high school plays and. Like I was in grade twelve, the senior play, I was Gaston in in, uh, in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So I I kind of I guess had a little bit of a background of remember you know memorizing lines of a script and, and acting them out. So maybe maybe that contributed to my interest in in movies. But honestly, it's just good money when you're a student and and you get fed for free and you drink drink coffee and eat muffins all day. So maybe that's why I was more interested in it. I don't know. That's like quite a life, yeah. Yeah, not so bad. Sort of a similar question here. Back in 2018, when you initially signed with the Jets, you got a shout out from the Trailer Park Boys as well. Yeah. So as well, do you know how that came about, or did it sort of come out? Yeah, of the they're actually today? they're actually friends. Um, oh yeah. So I was in a, you know, my best friends are in a band. I used to be the drummer before I came out to UBC, but that's old. That's an old, that's an old old news. But uh, they're in a band right now called Hutch. And uh, their their manager is the PR manager for the Trailer Park Boys. So they, uh, well, I don't know. I wouldn't call them their manager. I don't know. You can edit this, can't you? <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say a friend of the band is is really close with the Trailer Park Boys. So um, she she contacted them and said, "Hey, I think it'd be cool." They you know they got their their podcast, Swearnet. So. Uh, 
they did a pretty cool thing for me and, and shouted me out. And it was it was a fun surprise. I, I really didn't expect it, and it was pretty nice of those guys. Yeah, that's that awesome. gets me. That's that gets me some pretty sweet clout in the locker rooms, actually, because you'd be surprised how many football players love Trailer Park Boys. Oh, really? Yeah. They love it. And uh, they, uh, that's actually a question I get a lot being Canadian. They're like, do you watch the Trailer Park Boys? And then I go, actually, and I'll just pull up my Instagram and show that video. And they're like, really? like I get so, you know, that's the that's the coolest I ever feel is when I'm showing them that the Trailer Park Boys know my name. And kind of funny. That's awesome. So when I interview athletes, I really love to look at social media profiles, similar to it sounds like your PR team, see if I can find nuggets from the past. Sure. You keep your portfolio pretty clean cut from what I can tell, uh, but I'd love to ask you about branding in the NFL. Much has been made you know, by the talking heads in the business about young players focusing too much on crafting their images or making names for themselves. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster, Dwayne Haskins, people talk about them all the time, and they're doing that instead of sort of focusing on the game of football. You're a young player. Uh, you no longer have a public Twitter, but you're pretty active on Instagram. So what is your take on athlete branding in the league? I, I don't understand. Like, I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't really know who's talking smack about it. But like, if anyone's in a position where they have a following where people care about what they do um, on or off the internet, why wouldn't you do everything you can to monetize that and create a name for yourself outside of football i mean you see so many so many players i mean the the one that comes to everybody's mind is obj like odell beckham jr's brand off the field is like he's a fashion icon and he lives a lavish life and and is an inspired inspiration to a lot of guys um, a lot of football players and a lot of people who don't play football who just want to look cool and be cool like yeah that's just a really cool he, he's like the king of, of personal brand, you know, OBJ kind of exploded after that catch. And ever since then, he really ran with it. And that's something that I think a lot of football players, um, athletes in general, have seen and, and tried to replicate for themselves. And you'd be surprised um, opportunities, what, what opportunities come from you just, you know, kind of sticking your neck out and going out on a limb and asking companies, you know, uh, how do you feel about this partnership or, or this opportunity that I thought of? It's just, it's, it's awesome that, that athletes can, can expand their, their, uh, you know, what am I trying to say here? They can just add things to the repertoire outside of, of sports um, just by playing the sport. And it's pretty cool. And, and it's something that I'm looking to do for myself always. Um, because it's fun. Like you, you get to meet so many new people and, and try so many new things um, when, when everything you've been focused on is just football. So that's, that's awesome. Awesome. I think it's great. Yeah. I really like your take on it. I'm happy that it's nice to find somebody who's really optimistic about it because I think yeah. it's easy to get inundated by, you know, often the older traditionalists around the league who say, sure, Oh, sure. got to put your nose to the grindstone. Yeah. Why, why would you be a traditionalist? in a in a world where instagram has so much influence on what kind of like people get canceled and and everything you do on it the internet matters and everyone's watching under the microscope like i don't i don't i don't understand that so <laughs> that's just me no that's fair enough i really like hearing that from you just got one more question for you dakota might have expected this one who's your pick to win this sunday uh 
I, I got to say, you know, as a 49er, I want Tampa Bay to beat the Chiefs. The 49er in me doesn't want the Chiefs to succeed because of last year's Super Bowl outcome. Yeah. I just, it's tough. You know, I really, I'm really 50-50 on it. Tampa Bay's defense is unbelievable, and obviously they have Tom Brady on offense and a few other weapons at that. But they're, the, the speed that the Chiefs have is just ridiculous and uh, the weapons they have on offense. So I think it'll be a really good, it's just going to be a really good game. I really believe it's going to be a really good game. It's a toss-up. I'm 50-50. But I'm going to say I want Tampa Bay to win, so just so they beat the Chiefs. There we go. That's a that's the responsible answer. Fair enough. He's sticking with Tampa Bay. You heard it here. Yes, sir. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for coming, Dakota. Having alumni join us on the show, always a really great privilege on our end. So good luck for next season. Good luck for beyond. And uh, my most gratitude for you for being here. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. This has been Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, joined by Dakota Shepley, formerly of the UBC Thunderbirds football team, now playing for the San Francisco 49ers in the NFL. Thank you all for listening. We will now have a quick break for ads and PSAs before we get to the news roundup and the Thunderbirds alum of the week. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. Do you like laughing, hilarity, radical thought-provoking creativity, and laughing? UBC Improv is UBC's home for improvisational comedy, theater made up on the spot. Like us on Facebook to learn when our next shows are. Search for us on YouTube for our film sketches. And follow us on Twitter because we want the followers. UBC Improv. Insert cheesy slogan here. Let's get it on Sugar Let's get it on Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Now here's Alan Wang with the News Roundup, followed by Byron Wang with the Thunderbirds Alum of the Week. Starting with some exciting news with a Thunderbirds swimming alum, former short course world record holder in the 400 meter individual medley, Brian Johns has been admitted into the Canada West Hall of Fame. From his time at UBC, he was a force to be reckoned with, obtaining 33 gold medals in his 34 career university races. He was a three-time CIS Male Swimmer of the Year, a three-time Olympic athlete, and now is currently the head coach for the Vancouver Pacific Swim Club. This follows his admission to the UBC Sports Hall of Fame in 2015, so again, congratulations to Brian Johns on now gracing the Canada West Hall. Moving on to the sport of soccer, the UBC Thunderbirds led the way with four selections in the 2021 Canadian Premier League U Sports Draft this past Friday, with third-year Thomas Gardner chosen first overall by FC Edmonton, Christopher Lee selected fifth overall by Pacific FC, 
Victory Shumbusho at 12th overall by Pacific FC and Jackson Farmer at 16th overall by FC Edmonton. These four UBC men will get the opportunity to go into a training camp where they can show their skills and potentially sign with a CPL club while at the same time preserving eligibility, which would allow them to return to U-Sports competition next season if they chose to do so. Last but not least, to conclude this week's news roundup, UBC's Director of Baseball, Terry McKegg, has accepted a new role with the BC Cancer Foundation in the position of Director of Development in the Fraser region. In September of 2020, McKegg obtained results from a biopsy signifying that he had a form of skin cancer, but fortunately, a successful surgery followed. However, the experience left him with a desire to learn about cancer and how to help other people overcome the disease. And McKegg believes that his 23 years as the lead architect of Canada's premier collegiate baseball program has allowed him to build the confidence and skill set that will benefit him as he starts his position with the BC Cancer Foundation. With his last day at UBC coming up this Friday, February 5th, Terry McKegg has no doubt left his mark at UBC. Best of luck to his future with the BC Cancer Foundation. And that concludes the news for this week. Over to Byron for the Alum of the Week. And now we'll be moving on to the Alum of the Week, where for those tuning in for the first time, this segment focuses on a former UBC athlete's life, not only in the world of sports, but what their life is like outside of athletics as well. With no time frame in mind, there will be stories from all throughout the history of UBC athletics. This week, we'll be taking it back a few decades and looking at Ken Elmer, a multi-sport varsity athlete for the T-Birds back in the late 60s and early 70s. Having started his athletic career in 1966, Elmer played as a starter on the Thunderbirds soccer team for five years, helping UBC win the PCL championship twice in a row. And in 1968 to 1969, while still playing soccer, Elmer took up running in a serious way and within a year found himself among a growing number of outstanding track and field and cross-country competitors attending UBC. He led UBC at the Western Canadian University Track and Field Championship that year, finishing first in the 600 yards and first in the triple jump. In 1973, a UBC track and field highlight occurred when Elmer became the first UBC student to run the mile in under four minutes, clocking a personal best and a UBC best at 3 minutes 58 seconds, 0.5. He remains one of the few Canadians who have achieved this feat and at the time set a Canadian university record. He was also the holder of Canadian university records in both the 1,000 and 2,000 meters, as well as possessing for 20 years the UBC 1,500-meter record, and for more than a decade, the school 800-meter record. Not only is his record in university track impressive, but also in his international track experience, especially since he didn't start running seriously until his third year, and much of his time was spent playing on the varsity soccer team. From 1971 through 1974, the physical education student competed for Canada versus Italy, for Canada versus the Soviet Union, at the 1972 Olympics, the 1973 Pan-Pacific Games, and the 1974 Commonwealth Games. Following graduation, he competed at the 1975 Pan-American Games. Graduating from UBC with a master's degree in physical education, Elmer also taught an undergraduate course in track and field for four years while being a student at UBC. In his last two years at UBC, he was also the manager and assistant coach of UBC's cross-country team. Elmer, who even while at UBC organized racing tours in Europe, 
currently teaches school while directing the Harry Jerome Classic and the ever-growing Vancouver Sunrun, the latter Canada's most popular road race. Each year, working to improve this sport's profile as well as encouraging fitness. And that will wrap up the LM of the Week. And with that, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. Thank you again to Dakota Shepley for coming on the show. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail, Corey Branson, and Alan and Byron Wang. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great rest of your day.